drink the drink. But I don't want the drink. He doesn't want the drink. He does. I don't. You do. I don't. You do. I don't. You do. I don't. You don't. I do. You don't. I do. You don't. Listen, when I say I do, that means I do. Hello, welcome to episode 128 of Vague Zone. I'm one of your hosts, Thomas. And I am your other host, Daniel. And today we are beginning a new theme run. We have chosen uh, it's a detective story. Uh, we originally chose something else, but there were some technical difficulties with that one. And so we have a new detective story that we're going to start off this franchise, sorry, this theme run with. And it is Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And Daniel, uh, sorry, we are also we were joined by two guests, uh, friends of the show, Kevin Ganellan and Adam Murray. Thank you for joining. Sure, yeah. Yeah, Daniel yeah. started going off on some crazy Jeffrey Epstein theories in the last episode. So <laughs> oh, yeah, we lost I think, all that gold. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really shocking stuff. I think he's innocent. Yeah, so very maybe controversial. It's maybe it's good that, that, that episode isn't preserved. That one's okay. lost in the vague zone forever. But yes, before we start, Daniel, would you like to read us the imdb synopsis for who framed roger rabbit sure a tune hating detective is a cartoon rabbit's only hope to prove his innocence when he is accused of murder yes classic so i sort of kind of suggested this one as my choice originally when our plan was something different because i had not seen this movie even though it is a uh, animation classic, uh, just like definitive movie classic for a lot of reasons. Um, so this is my first time watching it, but I want to sort of turn it over to our guests, sort of put, let's go to Adam. Adam, what is your history with Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Oh man, I got a, uh, I got a deep history with this one. Um, the last <laughs> time I joined you guys was for Muppet Christmas Carol, which I think there are a lot of similarities between these two, which I can get into later, but uh, interesting that these both kind of connect with me. Um, my dad was like a movie buff, um, well still is, but he had a laser disc player. Uh, this was <laughs> one of the laser discs he owned. Um, and Ooh, so nice. when it was time to pick a movie, um, you know, this was, you know, cause I had animation and I was a kid, I was like always fired up for this one. So I watched it a ton as like a five, six, seven year old. Um, and then not a lot until like college when I like revisited it. So, uh, I love it. It's gotcha. one of my, one of the all time classics. One of my favorite movies. I think it's an amazing um, feat, and it's just crazy how ambitious this was um, and yeah. ahead of its time. So uh, I'm a big fan. Definitely. And uh, Kevin, what about you? What's your connection to Roger Rabbit? Yeah, definitely grew up watching this. I didn't have a laser disc. That sounds pretty sweet, but we had it in those glossy plastic VHS covers yes. that Disney had for like all of their their special line of animated movies. Uh, Lion King, Aladdin, and this one. Um, yeah, so I watched this like in the teens of times at least, like maybe ten to twenty. Love it. Nice. It, it just—it's so perfect for like, I think like a young boy, especially, but uh, maybe just any young kid really though. Um, but there's just because there's so much danger, like there's there's so much hostility, but it's <laughs> it's still controlled, and I think that I really latched onto that as a kid, and it was like funny really funny and i and funny for everybody like you you could recognize the things going on the um this is the first time i've watched it since those days probably i was like eight to ten years old and the the thing i most compared it to was the first 30 minutes of bo is afraid <laughs> i feel like i i saw a lot of maybe even direct references well i saw one that seemed like like one shot that seemed like a direct lift that ari aster might have made but Interesting. Well, we, talk, we can talk about that when we get there. Yeah. Here's the, the connection. Is it when Joaquin Phoenix uh, runs through a window and it leaves a shape of him? <laughs> um, outline, it's, outline. It's, that I, I would. I mean, the, the, I remember saying the first 30 minutes of that movie is just like straight up Looney Tunes. But there's a shot of Joaquin Phoenix running straight at the camera when he knows he has to beat the crazy guy into his apartment. And the way the camera's angled, it's like you get a little bit of the pavement and you get Joaquin Phoenix running straight at the camera. And there's this terrifying shot in this in, in this movie, Roger Rabbit, where there's that crazy, fake, sexy Jessica, the, the fake uh, Jessica, yeah. running uh. straight, straight at the camera screaming, like, come to me. And it's the same angle. And it's she's coming uh. straight at the camera. 
and it was like a similar situation yeah I, i'm into this i'm into this connection as I, I, I definitely support ari aster riffing and taking frames out of who frame Raj yeah. Raj and putting it into his a24 movie <laughs> nice what about you daniel i know you sort of we had a little screening event thank you again for hosting yeah. that was very yeah, fun of course good times yeah. uh yeah i think i've only seen this movie like once or twice before this um and it's interesting what kevin you say about this feeling like a a good movie for like young boys or something because it does feel like there's this it feels like an r-rated movie for children uh yeah <laughs> it's like you get to you get to watch a mature film but there's violence there's sexuality um, I'm sure the sexuality did something weird to young boys. Yeah. Uh, 100%. <laughs> but, I, forgot, I forgot to ask. Yeah. Was this everyone's sexual awakening as well? I think the mask. Was see, no, this is like, I didn't see this as a kid. <laughs> I didn't have, I think that that's why I didn't see this movie. <laughs> this movie was not in my house as a child because of Jessica Rabbit. Welcome to a whole new ball game now, Thomas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. See, I had Space Jam, and see, that's why I'm a degenerate now, is because I had Lola Bunny. Oh, okay. <laughs> me on a bad path. It is interesting, yeah, there is, because, like, I think for me it was The Mask, which also has this weird Tex Avery component to it. Yes. So yeah. it's like, all of these young boys are blossoming <laughs> with these, like, weird cartoon antics. Within um, the frame of like a cabaret yeah. performance, <laughs> but she's gonna be singing like a really sexy song, and my eyes are gonna pop out of my head. <laughs> yeah, I, I think at least I had the benefit of it being an actual human woman and not a cartoon. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, this time around, it was. There's just I, I feel like I have some like very minor gripes with just like the plotting. Uh, but there are so many moments in this movie that are just fucking golden. So like I already mentioned it before, like Roger Rabbit breaking through that window and it leaving uh, the Roger shape, Roger Rabbit shaped hole. Um, just it feels so fucking seamless the way it's done. And yeah. it just feels like you're it's just magic. It feels like this impossible feat uh, that they pull off so well. Yeah. Um, little jokes like Eddie's brother dying by having a piano dropped on his head and the way that that's revealed uh with like his girlfriend telling the story and stuff and i don't know it all feels so cinematic like yeah uh, it, it just yeah the whole tone of it the whole vibe of it the costumes. some of these costumes feel like they only they would feel ridiculous in a normal noir but they seem to work when they're contrasted against all of these cartoons running around um yeah so like yeah, dick uh, tracy kind of vibe going on where it's just yeah. cartoony enough in this real world it's funny that you mentioned that because there's actually a roger rabbit short film like another um cartoon that i think played before dick tracy when dick tracy yeah. came out um nice. but uh but yeah love this movie it's kind of fucking incredible so <laughs> yes absolutely um yeah, just, we'll chime in. Lastly, I had never seen this before. I've gone 32 years of my life not seeing this. Grew up a, a Space Jam kid, so I was like, knew about Who Framed Roger Rabbit and just kind of was always just gravitated towards the Michael Jordan basketball shit just because of what it was. But watching this now, um, it still feels incredibly fresh, uh, incredibly tightly written, just so many gags, so many jokes. And like I said, so many moments and like just things that just like or just keep going. It's very over the top in a way that is very appropriate because it's in this cartoon world. When, sorry, this real world with cartoons coexisting and just it still manages to have like a very sound internal logic, more or less, where it's like it's about making you laugh. And like he's <laughs> Roger has this line where it's like he's able to slip out of the handcuffs because it's funny. But like when it's. But yeah. when the first gag appears, like that's it's going to be attached to him, and that's just the logic in which things are working. And yeah, I just found this a joy to watch, and it's really fascinating to see like them interacting with props, like tunes holding guns and tunes standing yeah. on like they'll sit on a chair and dust like flies off, or like he's like on the bed and like there's indentations of where his feet are. All of that's really fantastic, and it's just like it just feels just so like groundbreaking for all the right reasons and yeah like and i said I had to watch it again because like there's just so many characters and little things stuffed into the the margins of it it's like it's just a joy to watch and yeah and as a detective story it's uh really cool because it has this very dark sort of through line through it going like that's actually it's a real story of 
uh, the public transportation system in Los Angeles being bought up in a uh, place for uh, highways being built and sort of highways being built over these neighborhoods that we sort of don't really care about. And I think that's a, a fantastic addition to like this movie that sort of elevates it to even more of like a classic level. Yeah. The club that he visits to watch Jessica Rabbit perform in, in real life LA, that would have been like, uh, I forget the name of it. Apologies, but it was something called like the jungle club or something like the that. The cotton club. The cotton. Yeah. So it's yes. like, you know, you, they didn't allow minorities in the audience, but only minorities were performing. Yeah. Uh, so you just, yeah, it's one of those, it's like X-Men, like you just replace tunes with the, the people, the, the, like the people who stand to lose a lot more than, yeah, yeah. Uh, than others. Very yeah. solid allegory. But yeah, yeah, glad we could sort of dive into this and <laughs> chat about this very, um, yeah. Any, uh, gags or stuff that like sort of stand out, Adam? <laughs> I loved, I mean, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more about it, but just like in general, Bob Hoskins is fantastic in this. And yeah. a lot of his jokes are in contrast, like they're, they're commentary on him existing in this tune world um but taking it all very seriously and just like just his intro just like made me crack up where he's just like walks in and he just like gives like defeated like ah, tunes and then just takes a swig <laughs> and you just learn so much about him like he says one yeah. word and you know he hates tunes you know he's an alcoholic um you know yeah. you get the sense that he's you know he's he's gruff he doesn't want anything to you know be involved with any of these you know people for lack of a better um term Yes, uh, yeah. but, but throughout the film you just you just constantly see him just so frustrated that he has to exist in this world like when he asks for uh whiskey on the rocks and he yells back to the penguin and i don't mean rocks <laughs> and it still comes yeah. with rocks um like still like, a joke <laughs> yeah it's so good you know um that kind of stuff really just like really really got to me and, and i love how serious they um, they play all of that. And I, that was my kind of connection to Christmas Carol. You know, in Christmas Carol, Michael Caine is treating every Muppet like they are like a Shakespearean actor. In this, Bob Hoskins yeah. is giving all of these tunes such gravity and weight. And uh, I, I yeah. just love to see him be so professional in this. It's great. Yeah, and it makes perfect a... sense of like him being in Mario, like the Mario movie, a little bit later, and sort of him being in this really fun, like sort of kids movie, but also just playing it very straight and just being like, like no, like I have this man. <laughs> um, there was an incredibly long list of other actors who was who were uh, considered. Harrison Ford was an originally yeah. choice, but he was too expensive. Chevy Chase was second choice. Bill Murray, our friend uh, Eric was telling us that Bill Murray, they just could never get in touch with him, right. like. <laughs> Uh, he like never answered his phone or something. Eddie Murphy turned it down because he thought he didn't understand the concept of like t tunes interacting with people. And he really regretted it, I guess. But then, yeah, there's like a huge list on Wikipedia where it's like Robin Williams, Robert Redford, Jack Nicholson, Sylvester Stallone, Edward James <laughs> Olmos, I think would have been cool. Wallace Shawn, Ed Harris, Charles Grodin would have been interesting. And Don Lane, they were all considered. Um, <laughs> so it's wild that like, yeah, we landed on yeah. Bob Hoskins. Yeah, I feel like Chevy Chase would have been bad. I don't think that would have been mm -hmm. a good movie. <laughs> I don't think he could have. Because I, I like that Bob Hoskins has this more like gruff detective attitude. I feel like Chevy Chase would have been a little cheese. Yeah. Uh, maybe Bill Murray. Maybe maybe Bill Murray. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think Bob Hoskins, yeah. They're and all then, such different vibes. Yeah. And I think Spielberg comments that uh, he looks like he's from the era as well. He has yeah. A very, yeah. Well, short, short, gruff guy. Uh, tall, beautiful wife dynamic. <laughs> yeah, Stallone would have been weird too. It, I, yeah. I, it would, it would be like a very interesting note on the Stallone filmography, though. Definitely, and also in a similar uh, note, uh, we're talking about uh, Christopher Lloyd is fantastic as Judge Doom, but uh, they're considering Sting as one of the, as the yeah. villain at one point as well. Which I think it's like. <laughs> and very Tim funny. Curry was considered, but he was uh, regarded as too terrifying. Yes, so, but I think that would have been that could have been awesome. Yeah, yeah it's I interesting. Like several that. of the people you've mentioned have had, you know, Bill Murray was in um, Space Jam, um, Space Jam, you yeah. know, uh, Charles Grodin in uh, Muppets, um, you know, oh, Tim yeah. Curry in Muppets. Like a lot of these folks do end up doing something similar um, either before or after, and it's, it's yeah. there's an interesting archetype in there somewhere of the like serious-ish actor that um, can play against, you know a non-human uh, co-star basically <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah i think it's, it's very charming because he does have this 
great arc of like yeah he's just hitting the bottle really hard and like there's a point where some of the other detectives like make fun of him for it they're like oh yeah like he's like like they call him like jameson or something there's like there's like completely ribbing on him and then it builds up to this amazing moment where the chase leads him to going into toontown and he has like the bottle of wild turkey and he like looks at it and it's just like no i don't need this anymore and then he goes and dives in it's just it's just a really solid satisfying moment well, something yeah. I pointed out when we were watching. So I, I must have missed him taking that swig at the beginning because I was like setting up movie night and stuff. But um, it feels like it feels like it takes forever for him to have a drink because when he orders a drink on the rocks and it comes with the rock, he doesn't drink it. Uh, he goes to um, I forget the owner of uh, the film studio and he like pours it when he's like getting hired to do a job he pours himself a drink he gets scared by dumbo and the drink gets up on the ground yeah <laughs> like there are so many times where like the drink is just like ending up knocked out of his hand or getting taken from him and so like it's the story of an alcoholic who can't get a drink <laughs> amazing i didn't notice that it, it totally adds to like him just being so over all this bullshit that's happening mm -hmm. which just makes everything so much like he's he's contributing to the to the cartoons rule of like only do something if it's funny but he doesn't want to be a part of that game, but he, he can't help it. Like, he's constantly part of the joke. <laughs> yes. Constantly. That's Speaking awesome. of jokes, what do we think of Roger Rabbit? <laughs> I love that they start with a uh, short of, of, like, just getting to see. Because we, we have no understanding of who this character is. Like, this is the first time we're really seeing him. So, like, starting with a cartoon and, like, getting a vibe of, like, okay, who is this character before the rest of the movie happens, I think is a yeah. really smart move. Yeah. And apparently that opening sequence was very, like, people really lauded that and was a big fan of that when the movie came out. And they are saying that that sort of overshadowed a lot of the rest of the movie mm -hmm. because they said that sequence was just so, like, groundbreaking. So well animated and lovely. But, um... But yeah, I think it's interesting. I've like done this journey kind of like working my way backwards where like as a kid, I went to Disneyland a bunch and like interacted with Toontown and like did all that stuff and was aware of like that world, so to speak. But funny, like finally watching this movie and like getting to know this like character is, is funny because like it's a lot of Bugs Bunny, but it seems to be like just taking the personality and like stretching certain aspects of it, like making him a little sloppier and a little bit more like, I don't, I guess like more anxious and unhinged and, and less cool. It's just, it, it, but also including like the overalls from like Goofy and like the bow tie from other characters. So it's clearly like this amalgamation of a lot of influences, but it's very much like it's not Bugs Bunny, but also it's, it's, it's very close. Yeah. I was like a much, yeah, well, sorry. I, I was struck by like how much turned to 11 he is and how he kind of stressed me out watching it this time. Yeah, I, yeah. when I was watching it as a kid it was just like oh fun. he's like a funny rabbit he's he's funnier than the other cartoons I've seen before like the originals because he's just he's more intense but this time he was like this guy has issues I feel bad for him like I hope he's gonna like I hope he's okay like his eyes yeah he's always unhinged <laughs> um I'm, I was surprised that they the filmmakers felt comfortable taking it to that level of like insanity with him yeah yeah it was, it was a big choice and I, I i agree i think it was it was cool to see and i remember as a kid watching this and being like like why aren't all cartoons like this you know it felt like it's a, basically the tom and jerry set in the kitchen um but yeah. it's way more dangerous you know you've got knives and fire um you, know, <laughs> yeah. you have like hot liquids like you have stuff that like and it's constant um you know it's it's every second or two there's another danger yeah. compared to like yeah the one literal here there. rube goldberg there's <laughs> like one right. thing leads into the next <laughs> yeah um and i think roger's the perfect like person to be in there because he's he's an interesting like character in the sense that he is um you know he, he's like kind of undefeatable like and and that speaks to like tunes can't really die or feel pain but he just is constantly trying to go save that baby um and <laughs> no matter what holds him up and um no no really regard for his own safety um and I, I i just love the the characterization of that and i on a i watched the making of on the making of they said that they were trying to like conceive of both roger in this world and they wanted to pull like the crisp clean lines of disney 
the characterization and uh like character work of uh warner brothers and then the humor of texas avery that kind of like mm-hmm. larger yeah. than life and i i think like hearing that kind of like synthesized in my head i'm like oh that is why this feels so high quality is you really get the best yeah, of, yeah. of these worlds definitely yeah i love his reaction to the tune squad like rolling up to outside the office he like he, like kevin said like the eyes fully out of the head but like he just completely stretches back and he's just like completely terrified of these uh <laughs> of these weasels coming in and yeah i just like just taking all of those things yeah like you said 211 just works really well and yeah i was associated him i was like oh he's gonna be sort of like bugs bunny but i was like no he's he's not cool at all he's he's he's, he's, way <laughs> he's off the deep end. he's a cuckold he's a straight he has he goes through <laughs> yeah. the the arc of seeing his wife having sex with another man and they suggest he's gonna go out and kill the guy <laughs> they, which they is, make you think that's gonna happen that's hilarious such a good gag when he's going through the photos at yeah. such a pace where it's basically yeah. animated yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah i mean i like the design of the character just like the use of the red and the yellow it just feels like danger like it feels like it feels gross and scary to me um because he looks like a clown he's got like the big red nose even uh yeah and the hair and i don't know it's it's not pleasant <laughs> yeah uh, it's kind of nasty i think yeah, i like what they do with tunes in general like every tune is just a force of nature in this universe and like it they, they get you to give you the sense that the humans like uneasily coexist with this these dangerous things that are just a part of their world, but they can't get rid of them. Uh, yeah, every every tune. I think I haven't I haven't rewatched it, but I think every time you see a tune on screen, it probably does some sort of damage to something. Like regardless of what the scene is or which tune it is. Now, there's a lot of yeah. group group shots where there's just like wackiness, but not necessarily like destruction. But I, I see what you're yeah. saying. I think there's a lot of instances where things have faces and like and things are like winking at you and like doing like eyebrows in the background. I, when they yeah. like finally go to Toontown, it's just a feast oh, yeah. of things happening in the background. That, I, I forgot all about Toontown. That was for me, this movie is before Toontown and after Toontown. And like, it's just the whole movie explodes at that point. And that was, yeah. that was amazing. That was an amazing thing to watch. And it was, it, it almost like dipped into horror territory with the hallways, the long hallways and yeah. being in a, in a decrepit, old apartment building being chased by a crazy woman like i I forgot all about that it was amazing (laughs) yeah i love the shot of jessica rabbit holding the gun up to eddie and we do like this zoom out and then it zooms back to his face like turning and the entire alleyway is like a rainbow color of just like red and purples back and just like going to like greens it's just like just gorgeous not even at the screening i was like that's an amazing shot and just there's so many little like details like that in this movie that just just don't really need to be there, but just completely elevate it to another level. And uh, yeah, I want to talk about Judge Doom a little bit because I think oh, yeah. he's a great reason why this movie is so fucking awesome. Because yeah, like mentioned some of the horror stuff, and yeah, I feel like as a kid, this probably would have fucked me up seeing him uh, reinflate himself and <laughs> <laughs> get the red cartoon eyes. But yeah, him dipping the the shoe it's very terrifying, very scary. Yeah, incredibly yeah. violent just unnecessary murder of like a little puppy or a little, or maybe like the tune equivalent of a child. <laughs> yeah, yes. uh, oh, and fun fact, Adam, the voice of that shoe is our good friend, Nancy Cartwright, uh, oh. AKA the bad boy of the nineties, Bart Simpson. Wow. <laughs> and I think it doesn't even really have, I don't think she has a line. I think it's just like a, a yelp of fear. Just like squeaks, like right? Yeah. yeah. It's like squeaks. That's crazy. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's that's very cool. And then uh, someone also mentioned that the singing voice is Spielberg's wife, but I didn't know anything about. Oh, that. I think the Eric sword. That. Yeah. No, 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 um, no. That's Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> is it Jessica's singing voice? Yes, Jessica's singing voice. Oh, Spielberg's gotcha. wife. Mm. Wow! Congrats, Spielberg. It's a beautiful voice. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, Spielberg's pull on this is massive because the, he sort of is the reason why a lot of these properties were able to sort of be on screen together. And a, a, a big reason why this movie succeeds is because it is like this collection of a lot of properties. And we're sort of used to it now with all of this like multiverse stuff happening with Marvel and that's like mainstream. But I think it's I think it's incredible that this is sort of groundbreaking in its own way and still like the only time we've seen Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny on screen together, mm-hmm. which I think is very odd to think about that it's only happened once. And it was like 
30 years, 30, 40 years ago. And they had to be on screen for equal amounts of time. So that's why you always see them together. Uh, neither company or one of the companies wouldn't agree to include their character if they didn't have the exact same amount of screen time as the other. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy licensing stuff. Yeah. Uh, I can't talk about Judge Doom enough. I think probably watching it this time, probably the best villain performance I've, I, I've ever seen. Like, really? I think so. I think so. Like, when you think of like great villains, like especially from like eighties childhood movies that you grew up watching, those to me those are like the best villains. Those are the villains that stick with you because there's like they're mythic and they're they're for children. But like, there's Darth Vader. There's this guy. There's probably French. some. Yeah. Oh well. You know, I <laughs> I didn't I didn't get around to seeing that as a, as like a ten year old. Like pure evil. <laughs> yeah, but like he's just he does that thing. Like I in in the Lost Fake Zone episode, the the Forbidden Fake Zone episode we talked about last week. <laughs> I I mentioned this performance from an actor, Christopher Plummer, who's like brimming with energy. He's just like shaking, but he's delivering just like one or two lines, and he doesn't have to bring that that crazy and ener- hectic energy into the, his scenes, but he does. And I feel like Christopher Lloyd does the same thing where there's just so much energy that he's containing in himself. He's very still and he's very mechanical in his movements, but he's like, it's like he's gripping himself with like rage. He's, he's got so much stuff pent up inside of him. And it's, it's awesome. Yeah. It, it is. He's really scary when he's getting up in, in, a, in another actor's face. It's like you feel scared for that actor. <laughs> yeah, he holds himself like an SS officer, like one hundred percent. He has like this completely black outfit, the brim, like this crazy chin, these circle glasses, and yeah, like and his salute his like solution for these tunes is to just eradicate and boil <laughs> yeah. them in acid, which is like I feel like just straight to death. <laughs> like I feel like the SS thing had to be intentional because there's a scene where he like walks into a room. I think like looking for tunes and it feels yeah, yeah. like I, I was like, wait, did, was he putting on a German accent just then? <laughs> or like, because like low key, it just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it felt like a 100% that direction. Yeah. His, his, <laughs> uh, his costume always reminded me of the Nazi from Indiana Jones um, with the little glasses. Totally. Um, yeah. So I don't, you know, lots of the same people working on that. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, and, he's, uh, he's so spooky. <laughs> And uh, per Wikipedia, in the uh, pr- in the production stages when things were still getting tossed around, a lot of ideas, uh, Judge Doom was going to have a briefcase that contained twelve kangaroos in the twelve kangaroos. Judge Doom kangaroo court, ha ha ha. Uh. <laughs> but I just think that like. I just love, like, that's where their head was at, like, in the process of making this movie. Like, yeah, like, of course he's going to have, like, a suitcase filled with 12 animated kangaroos at his kangaroo court. And I was like, once I read that, I was like, yeah, this movie is just amazing. Not because of just what it is, but just the ideas that were just springing around in the the making of it. It's all creativity. Creativity to the max. Yeah, the screenplay has two writers credited, but I feel like there had to have been... They had to have sessions where they were like, all right, let's get a bunch of people in here to just like punch up the script yeah. to like, where can we add jokes? Where can we add details and stuff? That what were you going to say, Kevin? Uh, probably one of my favorite IMDb trivia pieces of all time that I just read today. In one of the earlier versions of the script, Judge Doom was re- revealed to be the one who killed Bambi's mother. <laughs> <laughs> that From deep, <laughs> deeply evil. <laughs> is too evil yeah um and also there were talks of a sequel being made and then the the sequel was going to be a prequel and in the prequel we find out that uh roger's parents one of his dad is bugs bunny and so at least hmm. it's canon that bugs bunny is uh, roger rabbit's biological father yeah i'm surprised we didn't get more of these uh yeah well, there's more, success yeah there's more books because I didn't know it was based off of a novel. Yeah, so I think it was amazing. Spielberg, okay, so I'm reading it now. Spielberg discussed the sequel in 1989 with J.J. Abrams as writer. In 1989? Yeah. Or what they, was Abrams doing something. in 89? I don't know. That's, that's pretty amazing. He was like 23. Okay. Wow. I'm glad that didn't happen because he's not a good writer. <laughs> I'm sure he wasn't a good writer back then. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe he had, he hadn't found his patented formula back then yet. Maybe he was maybe he would have been on a much different track if he had made who made Roger who framed Roger Rabbit too. If he was allowed to thrive and make 
Roger Rabbit sequel. Yeah. Yeah. There's like six books. Which I think it's interesting too, because I didn't think there'd be more to tell about this world, but apparently there's backstories of Jessica Rabbit and Roger Rabbit and there's, it gets deep and there's this whole world there. Yeah. I'm yeah. Really, Roger and Richie must save her by going into Nazi occupied Europe. So there was like a whole Nazi plot line. Yeah, and that's why Spielberg pulled out because of the Nazi pot line. He, like, after making Schindler's uh, List, he's like, I can't make fun of yeah. this anymore because this is just too dire. He did that. He did Indiana Jones with the Nazis. Yeah. Uh, he did... Uh, what else did he... He did another Nazi 19, movie. Or a well, World he did War a, a World War II movie. That was one of his earlier ones. Saving like Private 19, Ryan? Yeah, yeah well, 1939, <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. Dude loves Nazis. Can't get enough of them. Oh, apparently he can. Gotta go punch him. Um, without, I think without Jake Daniel, you have to watch Shoah three times in a row now. <laughs> Jesus. It'll take you two weeks, two or three weeks. Um, Eddie's job uh, is, uh, gets paid $100 for his detective job. We had a good, <laughs> good beat about that. Him griping over his $50 check. Oh yeah, my god. Yeah. That reminds me every time 1940s. I see, Yeah, every time I see they live in theaters, like I, I would always see it at the Castro Theater. There's a scene like times are tough in that movie and the, the main character is struggling to find a job. Every like times are supposed to be tough in the whole world and the whole America and he walks past a gas station, it's like eighty nine cents yeah. for, for a gallon. And the whole every time I see it in theaters, everyone in the audience just loses their shit. <laughs> And yeah. just like, screams at the theater like why <laughs> yeah. I think there's a scene in Die Hard where they drive past a gas station too and you see the prices and <laughs> now everyone just can't help but like moan <laughs> yeah. yeah there's, there's a, a f- menu inside of the bar here and the, the French dip is like 50 cents or something oh yeah I <laughs> 50 cent French dip wow. back when times were good things were less than a nickel I love the that bar scene because you really get to see like part, you get like a view into like why Roger is so beloved and like why he treats his work the way he does. Um, yeah, like in the same way that Bob kind of treats all the tunes like you know very matter of factly. Like Roger is serious about his like laughing business. Like it it gives him life. It is the reason he has the wife he has. It's the reason he has the life he has. <laughs> Yes, uh, yeah. He's clearly a professional and I also just like love it sucks so much. He does that whole cartoon in the beginning. He like completely puts himself out there and and does an amazing performance and he gets uh, you know, completely like uh, busted down because he did birds instead of stars circling around his head. <laughs> and it's like the, yeah. the, the no one cares, you know, as a viewer we're like whatever, that's a, that was fantastic <laughs> and an amazing feat, but like he didn't stick to the script. So um yeah, he messed you know, up a stunt. <laughs> exactly. It's it's so interesting like watching him get completely like r- like rode by the director for uh for giving like a lifetime performance. So, never enough. Yeah. Know? Yeah, I love yeah. being in that bar too cuz yeah, you get more a sense of like just the, the sort of the class struggle and like they're talking about yeah, getting rid of the red line and getting rid of this like public transportation and everyone in there is sort of like kind of it's like kind of a, a divey looking spot where it looks you know the train's going by and everything is rattling and oh it's, yeah it that. just has this, this, this feel of like yeah like things are a little bit down and dirty but they have like that the joy of roger to sort of latch onto and this public institution to sort of help keep things going but yeah if judge doom and clover industries have their ways this entire neighborhood can just be leveled and flattened mm-hmm. and so uh, yeah kind of going back to like that tragic story the tied to this mystery i think that's what helps really connect all the stuff and make it feel real and have a lot of weight to it and so when you do get this feeling of like yeah like we do need laughs we do need people like roger <laughs> in our world because yeah it's gonna be tough neighborhoods are gonna start disappearing so yeah we need to have have some fun damn i mean like bars. oh sorry <laughs> like that's when the yeah. when they all the the way that this movie ends with them all just holding hands and singing, like the problem is solved. But it's kind of when you mention those things that you, you just did, like we know that's not how L.A. turned yeah. out. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that's kind of yeah. yeah that adds some extra bite to the ending that I I remember when I just watched it just now. Like oh it's it's kind of jarring that they're just singing all of a sudden. But it, okay, it's yeah everyone won. It's a happy ending. But uh, yeah, that's kind of messed up if you contrast it. <laughs> 
I, I love that song too. Like it's it's like aggressively positive. You know, it's smile, darn you, smile. Like like we're gonna freaking make you laugh and enjoy your life because like that's how serious it is. I, that's how I took it. Is like you know, but they are they are just as intense about being tunes and being providers of joy and humor as like Judge Doom is about controlling you know the city like they, they everyone yeah. has escalated to that same level it's just yeah. for them it's just about like gags you know that's yeah. it's it's cool uh, that song definitely, is a trip. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. sorry what were you gonna say daniel uh no i'm good um speaking of songs one of my favorite lines in this movie is when they're in the car and there's this car chase and the car has a moment for a joke it's like hey what's the, what do you call the center the middle part of a song as they're like heading towards a bridge oh, yeah. i just just like i just really appreciate just if you're gonna have like jokes just yeah just keep them coming keep them flying a, a mile a minute and no pun intended um but i just really appreciate that just that joke really caught me off guard and um the the weird like kind of body horror moment at the end when Judge Doom gets flattened and he do, he like comes off and he's like like this weird like slinky looking thing so and weird, then like man. walks over to the air thing and blows himself back up. It's when I saw that just completely caught me off guard. Was not expecting mm-hmm. to see something like that in this movie, but again, it sort of goes with him being attuned secretive secretly and just completely works. <laughs> Yeah, that was exciting to watch with you because I already knew he was a tune. <laughs> so I was like, okay, like is Thomas is this gonna catch Thomas off guard? Like what's he gonna think of this? Yeah. Wow. Somehow managed to not know that for <laughs> thirty two years. So but we never get to see what what his true form is. <laughs> like they say at yeah, the end it was it was just a plastic mask. That's terrifying. I never really yeah. remembered. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and the melting is visceral and <laughs> screaming. His scream, yeah, that's what I was just gonna yeah. say. Like that stuck with me for the, my entire life. Um, it's it, I, it lasts kind of a long time. Yeah, it just keeps going. <laughs> it, uh, I like, like I said, I would watch this a lot as a kid, and like we also had Indiana Jones on Laserdisc, so we'd watch that a bunch too. And mm-hmm. and I always equated that scene um, with when they drink from the wrong um, cup, and he melts, and the bad guy melts, in Indiana Jones. Like they're both yeah. just like body horror just true body yeah. horror and like you know baby spielberg i'm here to terrify yeah. you this is why we're here yeah. yes exactly um didn't i, I appreciate how PG... uh... oh go on oh so didn't they create the pg-13 rating for raiders of the lost ark because of that like face melting stuff at the end i heard it was for gremlins but i think maybe maybe it was both i don't know let me see Sorry, anyway. Gremlins was 84, and PG-13 came out in 84. Yeah, I I also find it really fascinating the fact that I don't have this movie as a part of my childhood, so I don't have, like, those memories. And so when we were watching Daniel's wife, Emily mentioned, like, yeah, like, the him blowing himself back up was, like, terrifying to her as a kid, and, like, just that being, like, incredibly scary. I'm like, it's so funny hearing, like, the how this movie is like a part of people's childhood childhoods and how those moments really stuck with people i think that's really fucking cool it was like so much more um present you know back when it came out in the early 90s and stuff too like roger rabbit was was part of i think they call it like the big five like he was um a character that disney was putting in a, like a lot of merch out for and they're investing a yeah. lot in having him be like part of the face of Disney and that has completely like changed once they got the like you know the little mermaid Aladdin Lion King once they started going into that um kind of identity yeah. but it, it's interesting looking back at some of like the older Disneyland merch and stuff and people are walking around with like Roger Rabbit hats on and shirts and yeah. um, and overseas like uh, I think in, in Tokyo Disney he's still like a really big mascot uh, but that's just hmm. kind of changed now and you he just feels like kind of like you know the weird uncle or like the cousin you don't see very often now to me yeah what do you guys yeah, think about because, that well it's like this movie ushered in that entire new Disney era right mm-hmm. <laughs> well because it was Daniel? like meant to kind of save Disney animation wasn't it believe so I think that's what the wiki says. I think that might have been Lion King, but but this was earlier. This is definitely earlier than the Lion King. Yeah, it it did so well. Yeah, and they spent so much money on it. It was so complicated to make. Then yeah, you're probably right. They probably put a Um, lot on it. I do think going back to the character design, I think it's 
hideous. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, like, I don't. Like, it's not, I'm scrolling through pictures of Roger Rabbit right now. I'm like, I don't know if I could just keep looking at it. Because, like, I, I, maybe I have something, maybe I have a fear of clowns or something. Because uh, it looks like a clown. The one with him and Eddie inside of the car is, is for sure, like, just unsettling enough to, like, to, it's like, it's cool and fun, but yeah, like, it's a lot of teeth and mouth. Yeah, and <laughs> I think just, the red and the yellow are really, the yellow gloves, something about those yellow gloves really rubbing <laughs> me the wrong way. Unearthing some trauma here. Don't yeah, like they, Roger Rabbit. They were talking about designing like Ronald McDonald. Yeah, he is totally Ronald. He's got the color. True, yeah, very similar color palette. <laughs> they said they gave him the the red overalls and the blue bow tie so that he would look like an American flag and people would subconsciously or yeah, unconsciously like like him. Um, mm. yeah, we love the American flag. <laughs> Different time. <laughs> that, that's that madman marketing. <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, I dig it. Um any final thoughts on who framed Roger Rabbit? I I wrote I, down real quick just a couple things that amused me when they were like, you get a little bit of Eddie's backstory. He's going through pictures and seeing old newspapers. And I don't know if you guys caught like the two major cases that he had worked, but one uh, was he worked the Huey, Dewey, and Louie kidnapping case, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> and then the, uh, the next headline says, Goofy cleared of spy charges. And I just... Okay. Like, <laughs> I love all of the Goofy references. Like, Goofy gets a lot of love in this movie. Uh, which See, we were good. watching it, and, like, I think, once again, hosting movie night, busy doing something else, someone says, uh, so wait, Goofy was the one who killed his brother? And I, we were like, wait, what? And they were like, yeah, there was a newspaper that said, like, Goofy cleared of charges. Like, was he the one, was he, like, accused of killing his brother? Yeah, there was a little confusion on that. So, spy oh, charges. That would have fit the, the noir thing. Great. Like, yes. the person in power. Because Goofy is like the Clark Gable of the Toon World, the way that yeah. Roger talks about him. So, like, that would have fit perfectly. It would have <laughs> added some tension in their relationship to Roger that's, being a big fan of Goofy. And, that's yeah. so true. He's in the theater. He's talking. He's like, every move is so precise. He's, yeah. he's a professional. <laughs> he's, like, he's so graceful. <laughs> Fucking love it. Well, like, what um, was the Red Scare? Is that is that related to, like, the spy charges? You know, I know people are getting, like, blacklisted and stuff in Hollywood. That was I mean, that was the first one, too. Or was that way earlier? Let me see, Redscare 1920s. So, yeah, 1927, I think. I mean, Goofy's been around for a while, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Back in the black and white days. I love the Betty Boop line, too, and just, like, having her as, like, kind of the washed-up, you know, actress-turned-waitress. Yeah. The town moved too fast for her. (laughs) That was the original voice actress for Betty Boop. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Wow. That's nice. Yeah, there was so much they wanted to do. They wanted to get Tom and Jerry in here. They wanted to get like Mighty Mouse. Um, yeah, trade-offs had to be made. Popeye. In order, get, in order to get some of the bigger names, some of the smaller ones had to get set aside. But yeah, there was also a scene where it was the funeral of Marvin Acme. And it was supposed to be like Superman was there, Tom mm. and Jerry, like, Ch- like Chip and Dale. Like it was just going to be a huge cameo fest. And I think... I yeah, think that... Yeah, we should have had that. I think they got rid of that during the uh, storyboarding. Yes. Or, like, screenwriting. Like, it was pretty early that they got rid of that. Yeah, someone was uh, like, like, no, we don't have extra <laughs> $10 million <laughs> for that. <laughs> Sorry. And, like, multiple scenes already served that purpose of just showing off all the characters and, and just blowing your mind with all the connections. So, yeah, that would have been, yeah. like, Daffy that would have been, like, three times Yeah. Yeah. So that Daffy Donald scene is fantastic. Yeah, yeah it should blew my mind. And Very like, cool. yeah, but you mentioning the funeral for Acme, just the fact that Acme is even a character in this movie is so yeah, clever. Yeah. Like, um, it's integral to the language of animation. It's like, yeah, the fact that it all takes place, the climax all happens in this Acme warehouse where they have these crates and crates filled with stuff, and it's just like yeah, a fun house of things to happen. Yeah. Um, as far as final notes. I, the gag I think I like the most just because it's so silly and weird is after, after what is the name of the car? The, Benny. The cars. 
Benny. Yeah, after Benny crashes into the light pole, he's like injured. He's very, he's clearly in pain. He's like agonizingly walking over to the real car, and he gets into the car, and his arm, his wheels turn into arms, and he drives away. I just fucking just love just like how absurd and just like how like how much pain that he's in, and he like walks over. Just I, it's fucking just made me feel like a kid again. Just seeing something <laughs> that's so silly and over the top like that. Yeah. So had to mention my favorite that. gag was probably the bullets. I mean, unfortunately, there's, like, <laughs> yeah. there's some there's some racial elements to that joke. No, it makes it, it better. <laughs> yeah, no, relic of the time. But the idea is so amazing. Like they each have a yeah. personality. They they're dummy bullets versus like some of those bullets are going to hit the target. Some are going to find the wrong direction. It it opens like you can think about that the rules of that gun for like twenty minutes. <laughs> awesome. Yes, that gun. The problem is the gun doesn't really pay off. Yeah. Yeah, this is very. Uh, yeah, they just run away. Well, he shot. It paid off immediately after he opened the case. The, na- <laughs> yeah, the Native yeah, American bullet. Yeah. yeah. A Native American <laughs> killing a wild turkey. Yeah. Oh yeah maybe there was like we like they capped it. They're like, okay, let's just keep it tight. We don't want to <laughs> keep yeah. going back to that well. Um, and just speaking of that concept, there's an anime I was a big fan of back in the day called Outlaw Star, and the hero had a gun with all the bullets did different things and I always thought that was cool. So when I saw that in this movie, I was like, that's, that's really cool. I like that. It's the really fun, silly version of that. There is a little bit of race and racial stuff at play. Um, but unfortunately, so is the case with a lot of these older animated films and shorts. Gotta be careful <laughs> with revisiting the past. Might get a little hairy. Um, so is that it for you, Daniel? Good, yeah. Well, I'll ask you, what have you been watching this week? Oh, what have I been watching this week? Uh, I saw I saw Past Lives, uh, written and directed by Celine Song. Um, it's a movie about um, these two kids, these like childhood friends, kind of like, you know, their first romance childhood friends. Uh, in Korea, they separate. Uh, the girl leaves Korea. Uh, 12 years later, they get in touch with each other on Facebook and there's just sort of kind of, you know, rekindling their relationship, like trying, trying to figure out like who, have, who have you become? Uh, how have we rediscovered each other? Is there some sort of uh, destiny here? A recurring thing. I think it's called Inyun uh, is this concept that like people are destined to cross paths. So uh, even if it's just like brushing sh- shoulders or something. We had this connection in our past lives, uh, and now it is like echoing through time in our current lives. Maybe maybe we were always destined to brush shoulders. Maybe we've done it, you know, in past lives. Um, and so, yeah, this movie, it's, it's really, really fucking good. <laughs> because it just kind of makes you, you're kind of forced to look back on all of these different relationships encounters you've had with these different people um it does make you question like what if i would have gone that route what if i would have gone this other route uh and like ultimately kind of make peace with where you're at um sweet because yeah maybe i don't i don't want to spoil anything or like spoil what the message of the movie is really but uh yeah it's really really good (laughs) i think the score is from two of the guys who did who were from grizzly bear and like it's really noticeable if you're a fan of Grizzly Bear. Okay. Um, but yeah, it works really well. Yeah, That's I'm seeing that on Tuesday. Looking forward oh. to that. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Uh, I'm gonna turn over to Kevin. Kevin, what have you been watching <laughs> recently? Because you, <laughs> you definitely joined us last week and talked for us for a very long time about a bunch of stuff, and that was unfortunately <laughs> lost. So, thank you for joining <laughs> us. <laughs> Sorry about that to happen. But what have you been watching recently? Yeah, no, no worries. Um, you when you someone mentioned, oh, you Thomas, you mentioned that like you didn't see the twist coming with uh, him turning into a tune. Yeah. Wanted wanted to give a shout out to my girlfriend Yuka. I got to watch. I, got, I had the privilege of introducing someone to Star Wars for their first time. Oh, nice! That was an amazing experience. So imagine <laughs> watching Episode Two or what Episode Seven with someone yeah. and they don't know. That Darth Vader is his father. <laughs> That's oh, crazy, episode yeah. five. Crazy. Episode five. So yeah. it, was, it was so cool to watch like that scene in the generator. I am your father, and and she her mouth dropped, and she was like, "Really?" 
is it true? She was looking at me. Like, <laughs> is it true? Looking at me like, are they playing a trick on me? Is it true? That was so cool. Um, yeah, that was fun. But uh, yeah, shout out to Jap- uh, another Japanese show. I-, I told you guys about it last time. Uh, Sanctuary on Netflix. Really good. Uh, this this like rebel bad boy in the sumo world is making his way through the ranks. Uh, the last episode I watched was amazing because there's a judge that that is making is trying to get get the main character to lose. He's just like bending the rules to disadvantage the main character. The main character does like a sumo move that throws his opponent into the judge. When he launches the guy, it goes into slow motion for the first time in the whole season. And it's like just beautiful. It's like four episodes into the season, and it's just this long slow motion shot of a sumo wrestler being launched like a missile into the stands. <laughs> it was so beautiful. Yeah, that that alone is worth watching the show for. Um, so, yeah, Adam, this is a, a samurai show. No, not a samurai show, a sumo wrestling sumo. show yeah. called <laughs> Sanctuary. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds dope. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. yeah, over to you, Adam. Yeah, I've um, well, I know you guys talked extensively about Barry the other week. Um, loved mm-hmm. loved Barry. I know I'm kind of the outlier here. I thought that the final season was was fantastic and uh, really tied yeah. everything together. Um, but I know you guys talked about that, so I'll I'll talk about two movies I watched recently. Um, I watched Moneyball a couple days ago, and I had never seen it all the way through. Um, it's a movie about okay. the Oakland days and the early 2000s and how they kind of changed the game on how yeah, Billy players Bean. are assessed. Yeah. So I kind of watched it as like, a, I don't know if you guys are following the the Oakland days story at all, but as kind of like a, a goodbye and good riddance um, to a lifelong fandom to that team. Uh, it'll always hold a special place in my heart, but, you know, as you know. Fisher has kind of made his <laughs> made his uh, mark and done a lot of damage to the fan base, to the Coliseum, to the city. So uh, I watched Moneyball as a reminder of when things were, you know, yeah. when I was like 10 years old and things were exciting and fun and, and people had a lot of um, hope for the A's. And obviously yeah, that, and, that did not pan and out. I'm, I think Daniel might be aware, but I don't know if Kevin knows, but the Oakland A's are potentially most likely might be moving from Oakland to Las Vegas and... It is, right. it is gutted. <laughs> a lot of me and a lot of the Bay homies are just distraught <laughs> at the the thought of that happening. And so, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. But that was, that was a cool movie. And it's got like a, a really great crack, cra- great cast. Um, you know, Brad Pitt, uh, Jonah Hill, um, uh, a young Chris Pratt is in it as a baseball player. Um, and just great to see the Coliseum. You know, which I grew up um, going to. Philip Seymour Hoffman is in that yes. movie as well. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, like, okay. it took me half <laughs> yeah. the movie to realize that it was him, which is so common in his roles because he just like dives into a character and just like becomes them. Uh, but he was fantastic in it too. Yeah, it was a fun watch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I felt it's, like it ended great. too quickly though. I think that um, I think I could have I could have watched another twenty minutes of it and been really satisfied. Um, and then I watched. For sure. Uh, the first Fast and the Furious movie for the very first time recently. Nice. I've never seen any of them. Uh, and I was like, you know, I'm, what, 20 years late to the party, but I was like, this is a really good movie. Like, uh, it's a Yeah, it's a, actually pretty good. Solid <laughs> action movie. Um, it doesn't waste too much time. Uh, it also ends really quickly. Um, <laughs> I, I went in not expecting a lot and went out being like, okay, well, I'm going to watch the next nine uh, in a row. Um, so that's yeah. That's welcome to the family. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Dom is welcoming <laughs> me. Uh, so that's what I've been watching. Kind of some throwbacks for me. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm like a big fan of the Moneyball book. I think the book is definitely paced and written very well. And yeah, when the movie came out, I was like so stoked for that. And yeah, R.I.P. Philip Seymour Hoffman. And yeah, it's just it's a if you're like from the Bay Area, Moneyball is like a fucking must watch. Like it's it's very good. Um, haven't watched it in a long time, but I think it's, it's still a must watch. Um, as far as me and things I've watched this week, saw the Flash movie. No, oh. and it's not good. Uh, <laughs> they were trying to say that it was the best comic movie comic book movie ever made. 
think uh not who said that Stephen like Stephen King was quoted saying that or James what? Gunn was quoted saying that it, it came from it, like James Gunn definitely said that for sure and I, I believe Stephen King also co-signed it by saying it's like one of the greatest comic book movies he's ever seen uh both of those are those not true that is not the case <laughs> it's not a good movie um the cgi is really bad and usually i'm able to like let bad cgi kind of slide but like i i can't really excuse some of the really awful stuff that's in this movie um but also the like core idea of this movie is like the flash is trying to undo this tragedy of his life he's trying to go back in time and save his parents lives essentially and he's trying to fix something and he's talking to his mentor batman batman's basically like that the mistakes are what make us like that's that's why i'm batman you know we can't really go back and change these things and we sort of over the course of this movie we see him attempt to make something attempt to fix that and the consequences of that however it treats the results sort of like a joke it turns the last moment of the movie into a punchline as opposed to sort of being honest about like the weight of like, you know, losing your parents or like sort of changing the entire timeline and having entire people die. Um, it sort of turns it into a punchline. I don't know if you guys want me to spoil it. I can spoil it if you want me to. <laughs> they always, <laughs> yeah. they always do that. Don't they? Yeah. yeah. Everything's a joke to these people. Oh. Yeah. So <laughs> essentially the way, the way it's set up in his world, his Batman is, Ben Affleck, and then he goes mm -hmm. back, and now it's uh, Keaton. It's Michael Keaton, so we have fun hanging out with him. He goes back home to his regular timeline, and the big reveal is, oh, Batman's showing up to the courthouse, and the Batman that gets out of the car is George Clooney instead of uh, Ben Affleck. And so it, it kind of okay. turns into, like, this punchline. And it's sort of debatable, like, whether or not that's smart to do, because the whole thing with DC is, like, it's ending. All of this stuff is sort of being rebuilt with James Gunn. So, like, none of the stuff really matters. And so it kind of goes to the point of the movie of, like, well, we are just going to be resetting everything. So, like, what is the point of sort of having this whole story being about consequences? And so I, it just didn't really kind of make sense to me if, if, if I articulated that correctly. But, yeah, it seems like what DC is doing is going against what the point of this movie is trying to make, of being, like, consequences mean something but like with this whole dcu they're just resetting it and rebooting it anyway so it just doesn't really matter um, yeah but yeah i just think it's just kind of weird it wasn't that great of a movie uh uh <laughs> spend five dollars to go see it uh don't recommend anyone else do that um and it's not doing very well <laughs> in america it's kind of bombing it's doing well overseas but yeah it's kind of rough um and i also saw asteroid city which is very good um highly recommend that um People are sort of saying it's kind of similar to, to Nope because it's about like extraterrestrial kind of stuff going on. But I think it's more like in line with Wes Anderson making a commentary on sort of living in a post-2020, post-COVID sort of world and the anxieties of whether or not to like move forward or not and like how to sort of continue with your life. And I think that like sort of existential kind of exploration is done really well and done in a very visually pleasing way with like that shot on Kodak. It's like this orange Sherbert looking kind of visual thing going on. And it's a, it's a great, it's a good, great time. Good movie. Yeah. I've seen that on Tuesday. I'm excited for it. Yeah. These recent Wes Anderson's have been, I think they've been great. I think you know, him tapping into these other actors like uh, Jeffrey Wright and like, um, Brian Cranston is great in this, and I think he. I would love for them to work together more. Um, yeah, I think these late, these more recent Wes Anderson films have been really, really solid, and I think yeah, Asteroid City is a strong entry. I've talked to a number of people who said they weren't into The French Dispatch, and I, like it's not a movie that uh, I feel like I'm going to be going back to like the same way I do with other Wes Anderson movies. But after I saw it, I was like, yeah, that was, that was good. I had a good time. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely like a solid, well made, and considering his catalog, it's like a very strong film, and like it looks great. Um, but yeah, I think maybe people just expect more, or there's they want something more radical from Wes Anderson visually or aesthetically. But I, I don't, I don't know. I I didn't get a lot of like emotional resonance out of the French Dispatch. Like it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't. It, it felt a like things were moving a little too long. The the way it was carved up into separate stories didn't really. I wasn't able to form too much of a human connection to the stories. Um, like the, I love Grand Budapest. I think yeah, maybe, I, maybe I was, 
Yeah, because it's probably his best one. Uh, yeah, yeah, damn, probably. It's tragic at the end, and I think maybe I that was what I brought to watching the French Dispatch. Is like it's not as you don't get as involved in the emotion of, or the story. But still, yeah, yeah, but like you said, it was like, oh, that was really good. It was a good film. Regardless. Yeah. yeah, I was a big fan of Moonrise Kingdom. I like that one a lot. That's also good. You, I saw this fucking thing on YouTube the other day where it's like reuniting the actors from Moonrise Kingdom 11 years later. It's like that movie came out 11 <laughs> years ago. It feels like six years ago. Yeah. Thomas Time in the flash in the, in the flash, is there a scene where Ezra Miller puts a baby in a microwave or is that yes. just there, it's real? <laughs> yes, that does happen. Yeah. What's the that context? Um, the context is a building is collapsing and that building has a hospital wing and the, the the baby wing falls out the window and he does the flash thing and like goes and saves him. And it, I, actually I give the scene a little bit of credit. So the CGI is getting a lot of criticism because the babies look like rubber, <laughs> like rubber balls. And it looks really bad. Um, I think the scene has a very funny punchline where it's clearly time is slowing down. And it's like, he has, moments to like make this happen because he's the flash and he's like going to like save the babies and he is going slowly and he passes them up to go into a vending machine to get a bunch of food out and then eat and then get his calories back up and i think i, I had a good laugh at that moment but oh yeah that yes, is, he does. I that that's the thing that he has to eat a bunch of food yeah he has to be yeah his calories are constantly being burned so he needs to be constantly eating um yeah so he, yeah in that moment he to protect a baby from some like acid that is falling he has to put that baby into a microwave and <laughs> the baby is safe <laughs> and there was a baby in my screening there was a, a family there with a baby like very very young and i was like this seems odd that we're like watching a movie where like babies are put in more mortal danger as a joke like as a, like a superhero punchline there's like an actual baby in here watching this i was like this i was like is this wrong like are we <laughs> like Maybe the parent didn't like their baby that much. <laughs> He's like, not gonna remember anything. Yeah, but I was like, this. I was like, it just, this feels weird. <laughs> yeah. Someone come get this baby, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> someone finally rescue did, me so. from this baby. Yeah, they were crying like halfway through. I was like, yeah, someone come get this child. It's a terrifying movie. You can't just look at Michael Keaton. Not ready for that. All right. Um, oh, he's a handsome man. How dare you? Yeah, he's a handsome man. <laughs> I take it back, Michael Keaton. You're a beautiful man. And he's very in shape too. He look like very fit for Batman. For like, oh no, aging I think Batman. I have to see it. He's oh. 71 years old. Jeez. Wow. Like he's getting ready for Beetlejuice too. There's a scene wow. where he's like doing the classic, like oh he just got out of a fight, so he's like sewing himself back up. And I was like, oh, he actually looks like all right. He looks like he's in shape. So these fit goals for late stage life. <laughs> if you're 70 and still looking that good, then you know, yeah. you're doing something right. All right. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Kevin, for joining us to talk about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Hell yeah. Always down to have you on. Always Pleasure. enjoy. Yes, always, always, yes, always. Anything you guys want to plug before we close it out? <laughs> oh, well, I got to tell the world about this video game that was lost in the Forbidden episode. <laughs> uh, I just I want everyone to play this game because it's free. Ashes 2046. It's free, made using the Doom engine, Doom build engine, yeah. so... Everyone's going to like 2063. 2063. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Because yes. I, I started playing it after you recommended it. Hell yeah. Okay. okay. And then the sequel is even better and also free. So enjoy. Yeah. I'm going to turn on my PC right now so I can download it. <laughs> yeah. I had to turn on auto aim because I was, those guys are too fast. <laughs> really? Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm playing on the Steam Deck too. So it's like kind of tricky. Are you playing in like the hardcore mode where like two hits kill you? It's just normal. Normal mode? Okay. Yeah. Cool. What were you gonna say, Adam? Oh, I was gonna say, is this PC only, or do they have it on a console? Probably. It's like a download. You have to download it from like mod database, some arcane website. So probably PC only. Gosh, I yeah. gotta go build myself a PC. I mean, it's <laughs> it's a Doom Two mod, so yeah, anything can run this. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Nothing really to plug, but. Me and Adam, we are working on the eighth Blaze Wave album right now. Nice. Album number eight coming nice. to a theater near you before the summer is over. 
Yeah. Sounds yes, good, and, and Thomas has some some crazy, amazing songs on it. So you're uh, too kind. You're you're, you're, you're far to too pace. kind. You're, you're you're far too kind. You're far too kind. <laughs> it's been a you lot of a, fun. <laughs> yeah. You have an album title? Uh, no, no, probably not. Not yet. Still okay. in the early baby birthing stages. Sweet. We're, we're amassing. Are you going to pitch them? <laughs> we, we did a little baby pitch yeah. test last time, but we're st- yeah, we're still just trying to get like the songs, see where they're at, see what we're kind of saying, and then go from there. That's what I read. Yeah, I yeah. The album names always come from strange places. Like it's usually a conversation, and then it'll when it happens, it'll be a very clear moment. We're like, okay, yeah, that's what we're gonna call it, and our our eyes will lock. In a, a haze-filled yeah. room. <laughs> they all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, going to wrap this one up. Thank you again for joining us. This has been episode 128 of Vague Zone. If you would like to contact us, you can email us, vaguezonepod at gmail.com. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or theme suggestions, let us know. Tweet at us at Twitter, at Vague Zone. Let us know what you're watching, what you're playing, and what you're planning on doing cool this has been 128 i'm your host thomas and i'm daniel we'll see you next time and thank you for listening bye